Welcome to the Side Action Podcast, the sports gambling show that covers everything in the world of sports betting from A through Z. We'll cover the four major sports as well as anything and everything in between worth some action and will increase the size of your bankroll. And here we go. Welcome to the Sign Action, episode 64. This is Jim Weglars, a.k.a. Weggs. You can follow me at Wegspool on Instagram and Twitter. And this is Steve Roberts, a.k.a. Action. You can follow me on Twitter at 31SRoberts. Follow the podcast at Sign Action Pod on Twitter. So, Action, we had the big game last weekend, the Super Bowl. Pretty exciting. Uh, what else besides the Super Bowl did you have last weekend? Well, my parents came up to visit here in Detroit, nice. and we were out and about across town throughout the weekend, checked out some sites downtown, went out to dinner, had a nice dinner, and then uh, played a little tennis on Sunday morning to get a sweat in before the Super Bowl. So nice. we had a great time. Then we uh, made some nice beef tenderloin and settled in for the Super Bowl, and it turned out to be a very profitable evening for action. How about yourself? Nice work. Nice work. You know, I uh, I met a friend for a drink on Friday. Um, you know, Seema uh, mm-hmm. just had a you know a couple beverages, struck out and asking the waitress out. Um, <laughs> that didn't work out too good. It's worth a uh, shot, met, right? It was worth a shot. Uh, I met Ulrich then for a couple beers in uh, Bucktown, and then um, Saturday, you know, I had Sophia this weekend, so we we watched Bad Boys for Life, which was awesome. I really enjoyed it. And then uh, Sunday, of course, was the big game. And as you mentioned, a profitable day, a really exciting game. So it was just uh, an awesome weekend overall. Good to hear it. Yeah, that uh, Super Bowl turned out to be a fantastic game. Thrilling comeback yet again by the Kansas City Chiefs. Really just remarkable. No doubt, no doubt. We'll go into more of that in a minute. I'm just going to make a plug before we go into the rest of our episode here. Tomorrow's the big day. When you listen to this tomorrow morning, everybody will be today, meaning Friday, uh, February 7th, is the meeting made easy at Easy Bar. This is uh, M&M Singles, which is my singles group that uh, gets together to try to meet the old-fashioned way. We'll be at 1944 West Division starting at 8 o'clock to 11. It's $10 entry. You can hit it up on Eventbrite or at the door for $10. Um, looks like we're going to have 40 to 50 people, which is a pretty good turnout. So, you know, meet somebody special. I know Action and Melissa hopefully will make it and uh, support me in this endeavor. Um, but it's a good time. We'll just have some kind of fun mixer games. We'll have a DJ and some tacos for my local Edgewater Tacos. So looking forward to it and putting the finishing touches on that, and then we can uh, get back to sports gambling. Yeah, well, I hope it hasn't taken away too much from your wagering activities, but I know you're <laughs> good at juggling things and keeping your life balanced. So. Definitely looking forward to it. It should be a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go over the episode quickly. Uh, we'll, we'll have a legislative update. We've got a couple updates to mention here. Then we're going to talk about the recap of the Super Bowl, uh, the game itself, and all the props that we were discussing last week. Then we'll do NCAA hoops, which really is kind of our main focus from now until the end of the season, I suppose. Um, action power ratings, games of interest, and how we did last week. So... A little tighter episode than normal. Uh, we'll be changing format. It gets a little shorter, right? Action. Maybe we'll slip in some, some other stuff. I know, 
Melissa wants to hear NBA, but uh, we'll figure out some other things to add to future episodes. Yeah, I agree. I definitely am interested to see how the XFL games pan out this weekend. I've been oh, yeah. hearing a lot about these new rules and how it's going to completely change football and entertainment. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes and see if there's some value to be made in those football games as well. That's right. That three-point extra point, right? There's uh-huh. a couple different options there. Um, well, let's talk about these legislative updates. I put on the outline that Illinois, theoretically, they approved three different casinos, including Rivers, which is not far from the city here, uh, to take sports gambling or to have a book. Uh, although I'm looking on the website and their app and see nothing, no mention of the sports book at all. Hmm. So I'm not sure how it works. I haven't made a trip out there or anything. I guess I need to and make an inquiry. Uh, they did it just a couple days before the Super Bowl. It doesn't look like they had an up-and-running book, though. Uh, Maybe our listeners out there can prove me wrong. But at least soon, I would hope that they have an ability for me to make some legal wagers here in Illinois, which is about time. Yeah, no kidding. It seems like they passed that legislation months and months ago and uh, Mm -hmm. still nothing up and running. So hopefully you get that sorted out soon and you can start betting on the local books there in Illinois. Now, did this is an aside, did Michigan end up getting things going before the Super Bowl? No, not yet. The last I read that it was expected early March to have some online books going. I haven't ventured out to the casinos in the last several months, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're up and running on the brick-and-mortar shops either. Gotcha. That's fine. It's tough to do. You know, tough to get all those things together, staffing and algorithms and all that. Um, the other update you've got from Colorado, what did you see just come across Twitter in Colorado? Yeah, exciting news today that the Circa Sports book of Circa Sports Million Contest, who has really been kind of groundbreaking this football season ever since they opened last Memorial Day, I think it was. And now it looks like they've partnered with a company out of Colorado to open up some online wagering in that state. So very exciting to see that a major player within the sports betting industry and one that has really been innovative in the ideas and wagers and types that they've come up with is branching out across the country. And it really gives you some optimism that some other large operators are going to be able to do the same thing. Hmm. That's cool. I mean, some states are open to those bigger operators coming in and others are protective, like Illinois, um, which is disappointing. So it's not really helping the consumer, but obviously the established businesses. So uh, that's great. I mean, Circa is going to open that huge book out in Vegas, you know, that everybody's talking about and in anticipation of the upcoming football season. So it'd be interesting if they can coordinate, you know, efforts and and maybe get the, that online in Colorado too. So see what happens. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's jump into the Super Bowl. I mean, obviously an awesome game. Uh, it didn't work out exactly as scripted, but – you know, this Kansas City team, they fell behind again, uh, double digits, which they did in every single game of the playoffs this year. And it looked like San Francisco, I wouldn't say in control. They just were kind of stymieing that offense a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, it was, what, 20 to 10 with, I don't know, like three minutes to go in the third quarter or something like that. And then Mahomes and the gang just started started making plays. And, um I was very happy to see that and really kind of one going away in the end, right? I mean, they won. (laughs) Did they need to score that last touchdown by Damian Williams uh, where he kind of just ran on a second down carry to run out the clock and went to the house? Probably not, but um, 
if you were in a pool or if you got a really low, you know, over total or something, maybe that made a difference. But, you know, Kansas City covered that one point, uh, but it didn't hit the 54 in the total. Yeah, I mean, it uh, definitely busted some teaser lines, too. I think mm-hmm. if you played San Francisco on a teaser, that last touchdown busted that one open. And I think some alternate totals and certainly some live betting totals and the second half total all went over on that late touchdown by Damian Williams. And I Mm -hmm. think also it led to what turned out to be another possession by the Kansas City Chiefs and ultimately the debacle that was the Patrick Mahomes rushing prop. (laughs) Sorry about that action. So we can get to that a little bit later, but uh, it was kind of an unfortunate circumstance the way that went down the last couple of minutes in the game. Really kind of a wild scene. Yeah, if you're watching the game, I mean, you're you're probably thinking, okay, um, you know, I'm doing pretty good on most of these props, at least the ones that at the top of the sheet here, and and you know, feeling pretty good. I mean, Jimmy G didn't really set it off, and and all that. You got your you know your touchdowns from Damian Williams and Mostert, and and I think that Mahomes had what did he have? Like, did he have almost 40 yards or something? 44, 44 yeah. yards rushing. And okay. then he decided to run around and <laughs> yeah. go, go back. And I think the official total was, what, 29 or something at the Correct. end? Yeah, he took a three separate losses that totaled to 15 yards, which took Jeez. his total down from 44 to 29. And a lot of books closed at like 33, 34 yards. I was in at 30 and a half. So one that I even had graded it on my sheet as a winner and was looking later and saw that it was graded a loser. And I went back and realized that he had lost yardage on those plays. So yeah, that sucks. That'd be, but overall, I mean, you know, I guess my handicap of the game kind of worked out. I mean, you know, Mahomes didn't, he turned the ball over, you know, he mm-hmm. did, he had two bad turnovers. Uh, the one interception was atrocious. You know, he did, I don't know what he was, I don't know if he didn't see the player, but he hadn't thrown interception in the playoffs up until that point. And then um, the second was more of a tip ball. But, you know, Jimmy G, they called a great game for him. I mean, the guy was just doing play action and a lot of bootleg action, getting these, you know, use check with a lot of catches and really just dinking and dunking down the field. But once the script flipped and Kansas City was able to get the lead and they made Jimmy G dropped back to pass, it was over. I mean, he he couldn't do it. And, I mean, he missed Sanders on the deep ball. Certainly that would have been a game changer in terms of the Mm -hmm. total and the score. But, I mean, honestly, once he started dropping back to pass, straight up drop back, he barely completed a pass. I mean, it was like he had two or three completions in his last 15 or something like that. So he was at one point, I think, 18 for 20, and he finished, I believe, Namaste was a 20 for 31 or something like that. He really had a crappy fourth quarter. Yeah, and really kind of curious, and looking back at the game, why they chose to throw the ball so much in that second half, especially mm. when they had the lead in a lot of those possessions. They were dropping right. back and having Jimmy throw it where they were having so much success on the ground, breaking mm-hmm. off like six-yard carries. Even on the very last possession before um, – they ended up turning it over on downs. It seemed like they were making some yardage on the ground, and they just kept throwing the ball. Yeah, that last drive, they had 17 yards on the first carry. I think it was by Mostert, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting. You know, if you look at the game totals, you know, I, I kind of did an, a write-up on this in Wex Pool this week, and they really didn't – well, first of all, they didn't have a lot of carries, right? The yeah. running backs had, I think it was like 12 carries on the game or something. And 
you know, yes, Mostert had the 117 yarder, but they weren't busting off big runs. The runs were, you know, from statistics, it was really more Debo Samuels had a couple long runs. And, um, but you're right. The defense was off balance the way that the game was called. And maybe they went conservative a little bit uh, at one point. But, yeah, I don't know. I just think, you know, Kyle Shanahan still has a lot to learn, obviously. I think Andy Reid coached him in this game. And also, Kansas City's defense, they knew if they could get a stop, which it took them well into the fourth quarter to force a punt. Yeah. Um, then they knew Mahomes would come through, and eventually he did. They just gave him enough chances to uh, make it happen. And, you know, I liked – the other thing I, I wrote about was, look, the difference was – Mahomes went to his guys. You know, Hill was unguardable in that secondary. Uh, Sammy Watkins made plays, beat Sherman like a you know like a drum in that one play, and Kelsey made a couple plays, and Damian Williams obviously had a huge day. So their studs came up, but in San Francisco, whether it was scheme or just the way who was open, they really didn't get the ball to Kittle. I mean, he had that pushed off at the end of the first half and then missing the deep ball to Sanders, but those guys didn't get the ball. I mean, it was, you know, Juszczyk and Bourne and Debo, you know, and everybody else just, you know, was ineffective. The, the highest uh, receiver on San Francisco, it was Bourne with 42 yards. It's just not going to get it done. Yeah, they certainly didn't use their weapons. I certainly lost a prop on George Kittle receptions, and mm-hmm. even Emmanuel Sanders was kind of uh, omitted from the game plan. Right. Well, if we look at some of these props, I mean, obviously, you know, both of us cashed on the future ticket with Kansas City, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you hit the Jimmy G under, you know, 239 and a half. That was, you know, it was a winner. You were thinking more that because they would be running the ball more, right? But um, yeah. he was effect- basically ineffective in the fourth quarter. Um, we talked about the Mahomes beats, our reaction. Um, <laughs> but, yes, the game was tied after 0-0, so that one hit for you. Um, red hot to start here and then you know the highest scoring half was the second half no question right Mm -hmm. that was no brainer Um, that was kind of a weird thing too in the first half at the end of the half where San Francisco didn't even try to move the ball um, when they had the ball late it was kind of like they were content with the 10-10 and almost Andy Reid almost opened the door with that timeout on third down Um, but yeah it was kind of weird and then, uh, and early on in the game, in the first quarter, Shanahan was very conservative too, and kicking that field goal on the opening mm-hmm. drive, I think. And that's yeah. one in particular that I'm going to put in my notebook for next season. I've read that this prop bet highest scoring second half is on a phenomenal run in the Super Bowl, and I think it's largely due to these teams being so conservative early in the game. You even mm-hmm. saw it at the end of the half as well. Sure. And like I mentioned, Damian Williams did score, and so did Mostert. So both those hit. Um, you know, Mostert just got the one-yard run. Damian Williams had, what, two touchdowns, right? Two or three. Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two. Um, Sammy Watkins, under 49 yards. That did not hit. This is where we start hitting the losers, actually. Um, <laughs> Sammy Watkins was over. He had 98 yards receiving. He had two, basically, two long passes that, that got him there. Yeah. But Kittle, under the six receptions, I mean... Dude, like three receptions or something. It just sucks. Um, so that was a loser, too. Um, but Debo, I was there. I knew it was going to happen, that little bubble screen. Now, it was his first reception on his first play. His first play was like a you know reverse for 15 yards, but uh-huh. his first catch was just like the bubble screen for minus one. So that one did hit. 
um, as well as the Tyreek Hill, man. The, he had that big – and that was the play of the game, right? Third and oh, 15, yeah. looking a little bit dire for the Kansas City fans and total blown coverage. I mean, that wasn't even a great pass by Mahomes, but he was wide open for like 44 yards. Yeah, that was definitely the game-winning play. And I think I've heard several times this week that the – um, probability that San Francisco was going to win the game was up above 94% right before that play Ooh. occurred. So without <laughs> it, they were definitely going on to lose. Uh, not definitely, but yeah. most likely. Yeah, I mean, you probably don't go for fourth and 15 in that situation at, at the 35 or whatever it was. So, mm-hmm. And actually that was after they reversed the catch, you know, and, and it was a drop, I guess. Um, but, it, you know, on second and 15, that was like a 16-yard reception that, Originally was called a catch, and then they reversed it, and then all of a sudden, boom, Tyreek Hill, deep. Um, Mm -hmm. The two sack props did not come through. Bosa had his sack, you know, a strip fumble there, um, but he did not get a second one. He had like 12 pressures, which is awesome, but could not get that extra half sack to hit that plus 360. And then Frank Clark, really, they only had one sack all day in Kansas City, so he wasn't going to get close to that one-and-a-half prop as well. Um, and then the margin of victory, which was looking good for a while, right? The yeah. uh, <laughs> San Francisco margin of victory. And I ended up, I think I told you, I ended up betting them not just the one to six, but also the six to 12, just to cover myself, uh, hedge myself a little bit. Yeah. The future. I mean, that one was more of a hedge. So it's on the list here. But certainly, I think both of us are pleased that one didn't come in the victory side. Exactly. And then the first score of the game, you know, again, to get back to conservatism, San Francisco kicked a field goal. That sucks. Uh, they were moving the ball, but then they just, you know, Robbie Gold. And then, uh, you know, the actual last football prop we have on here, the TD score on the fourth down. I was really thinking that when they ran that crazy play with everybody doing a little spin in the backfield, that that was going to go all, you know, get in the end zone. That would have been my fourth down play, but they got stopped short and scored, you know, the play later or whatever. So Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, and then the Shakira and J Lo side boob. I don't think that hit action. I, I didn't officially do it, so my feeling was I couldn't tell. So I don't, they probably would have avoided this bet anyway. <laughs> I I gotta be honest, I wasn't really watching the halftime show. Just kidding. It's, but it's it's kind, of, <laughs> it's kind of an upset that they didn't show side boob after all of that, right? Well, I think I told you that you know we have on the the sheet here was plus. 140 for the side boob on yes and that was the the or but when they posted it the day of it was minus 200 Mm. so i'm like oh somebody saw the rehearsal there it's low you know it's a locked and loaded but um you know my mom i haven't watched the whole halftime show myself because that was when we got food but my mom was like oh you gotta watch all of it i'm like okay mom like (laughs) she was saying because i guess it's a political statement with the kids in the cages and stuff like that but um I've heard, seen a lot of uh, buzz on Twitter about how it was just too, you know, explicit or something, all the gyrations and such, but I don't complain about that action. No, certainly not. And I do think that it was quite a masterful performance by both singers. Mm-hmm. The last one has a shot. I didn't hit it, unfortunately, but the Joker Oscar Awards at plus 160 against Mahomes TV passes minus 210. I mean, it's he only had two touchdown passes, so yeah. I mean, you know, you know, Joaquin's going to get his award, so it's like they get you know two more, you're in the money on that one. So overall, I think we were kind of about split. I mean, all the ones that you, what I called last week, the kind of safe and smart props you hit on, 
the other ones would be kind of just, as you said, more often than not, it's the no, although the yes hit on um, the games tied and the, the, the different touchdown guys. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, you know, like we also mentioned last week, those needle in the haystack kind of props are tough. You know, they yeah. they look like big, juicy, fat payouts, but you uh, definitely need to win a couple of them in order to turn a profit. So it's a tough game, Absolutely. tough racket out there. Now, did you do some live betting as well in the Super Bowl? No, I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't jump in on Kansas City. I've heard many stories mm-hmm. this week about folks who got them upwards of plus 400 when they were down sure. 20 to 10 in the middle of the fourth quarter. But I didn't really thought never really even crossed my mind. I was having a good night as it was with all the props. So I figured I would just write out that Kansas City bet, which turned around and uh, turned into a great night. How about you? Yeah, exactly. No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I was too busy having fun at the party, to be honest with you. But I mean, I was tracking my props kind of mentally. I had another side wager with a buddy at the party, so I was doing my own gyrations when Kansas City was coming back as he was talking <laughs> some smack early, um, and you know how I can be. But, uh, yeah, that was it was um, probably a great Super Bowl to do the live pro- live betting. You know, Broccoli Bob was probably going crazy. So, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like from what I've heard on VSIN about the handle that basically game props, game and in-game – equaled out to you know the props in terms of the total handle so kind of interesting that you know obviously some people are so interested in in all these props you know they become more popular and it's almost a 50 50 split on the money that's interesting yeah very interesting it's really kind of makes you wonder why they don't offer that kind of menu throughout the season i know some books do offer quite a bit more on the sunday night and monday night football games but i do understand it's quite a bit of work for them yeah, and grading it out, it takes time too. But mm-hmm. but overall, you know, we closed the uh, NFL season. Definitely, you know, closed strong, at least for me, um, on some of my bets. So now it's ironic the index would have picked San Francisco, but I, I did not. Um, but no, overall, I mean, it was, you know, closed, I think, 9 and 1 or some, or 10 and 1 on totals, you know, going down the stretch and 7 and 4 on the games against the spread. So, did much better than during the season this this year, actually. Well, it's a good thing that you finished strong, and hopefully we can carry that into next season. That's right. And into our next segment, college basketball. So <laughs> let's just jump into college here. Looks like we bought split last week. You know, we've been trending more towards the mean in college basketball lately. Mm-hmm. Your Northern Kentucky, though, the Norse, they took out Green Bay. Uh, they were only two-point favorites, which was a short number, as we discussed on the pod last week. They won pretty easily you know, by nine against Green Bay. So nice work on that one, Action. Thank you. Yeah, the Norse were pretty dominant that uh, Friday night and really kind of led by more than the final margin for quite a bit of the game. So it's really kind of a, a no sweat on that one. Mm-hmm. Couple of ones uh, that we missed, or I missed. Uh, BYU did not cover the number against St. Mary's. They did win the game. Uh, they won by two, though. Mm-hmm. And I do like that BYU team. I'll be looking at that number when they play Gonzaga uh, later this season. Um, looks like Syracuse. Man, that was a close one. They, they yeah. I thought they were going to get there. It was so close. Uh, you know, Duke ends up winning by nine in Syracuse. It was just free throws down the stretch. They got them over the top and. I was gnashing my teeth at that one. Um, and then surprisingly, the uh, first half under did not hit in that uh, 
Rutgers Michigan game in Madison Square Garden. Shocking. Yeah, kind of a hot shooting start for both teams. I was watching that one before dinner, and uh, it, it had a shot, but the uh, a late flurry to close out that first half pushed it quite a bit over the first half total that went up to 71 points ultimately. And also surprising to me, at least, that Michigan got the victory there. I was no. half expecting Rutgers to pull that one out, but um, Xavier Simpson was back on the court, and that was a big boost for them um, as they did get the victory over Rutgers. But um, it's not really looking that good for Michigan. I think they're kind of in a tailspin right now and turning yep. towards being out of the NCAA tournament, as remarkable as that is. Yeah, they did lose to Ohio State this week at home. Um We'll see. I think there's going to be a lot of teams from the Big Ten to get in, so they'll, they still have a shot, and they just need Livers to come back to stabilize that scoring. Mm-hmm. The other game we did not hit on was Kentucky at Auburn. This was a, a battle. Oh, and This was a physical battle, and Auburn kind of showed me something out rebounding the Cats in this one, and they played really well at home, uh, beating Kentucky 75-66. So for some reason, Bruce Pearl has got you know Calipari's number the last couple of years. Yeah, that, you're right about that. I thought Kentucky was hanging in that game for quite a while, and then mm. um, Auburn just kind of stretched it out the last five or six minutes. So that was a rough one, but that's how college basketball goes sometimes. That's right. Our hits, though, we had Houston against Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati actually won the game, which is, you know, the Bearcats as a big win for them. But with the three points, you know, Houston got three points, and they just got within that margin. Cincinnati only won 64-62. I'm sure this was a sweat for you action. Yeah, it definitely was. It was back and forth in all games. Houston had a lead, then Cincinnati would come back and take the lead, and ultimately the lower-scoring affair panned out for me as Houston was catching three there and uh, was able to get to the window. Right. And then um, Stanford, as uh, I was happy to see, Stanford took out Oregon on Saturday night. Pretty easily won by 10, although Oregon was winning at halftime. And Stanford, the second half, just flipped the switch, and they kind of kicked their butt, and they won going away. So that one point was easily covered. Stanford's a team that they've got some you know, pretty good talent, and they're going to be in the big dance this year. Yeah, they like I said last week, I haven't really watched them play much, and I missed this one on Saturday night as well. But certainly a surprising scoreline and gets me to raise my eyebrow a little bit. Mm-hmm. We were split on Illinois-Iowa, although mm-hmm. Iowa did take them out and won by seven. Of course, you know, I didn't bet it, but that was definitely a sweat for sure. Um, Rutgers, back to, you know, they played Maryland on the road. The score was 56-51. My God, I mean, these teams obviously have trouble scoring. Those are some really good defenses, but, dude, that's like a high school, junior high school basketball game. Yeah, yeah. I watched the better part of this game on Tuesday and Rutgers was up five at halftime and really kind of in control of this one. Maryland couldn't score to save their lives, but ultimately in the second half, they came back and took control of the game and Rutgers was able to get some crucial baskets late to keep this one within the number. I was hoping for them to pull it out without right victory, but ultimately I'll take the cover instead. Absolutely. One of the things before we get into your ratings and the games, I, I heard Pat Forty uh, today on VSIN, and he made a couple of good points that I didn't really think about in terms of this college basketball season in general. We discussed it a little bit that it's kind of wide open this year. There's not one dominant team, and there's some kind of dark horse teams or mid-major type teams mm-hmm. that could be at the top of the you know seating. 
But he made a really good point that a lot of the top freshmen that you know were supposed to come into this class in college basketball either aren't playing, like Wiseman, uh, who was you know with Memphis, or Lamelo Ball was playing in like you know Europe or something, mm-hmm. um, and then other guys have like left their teams, the guy for Ohio State or whatever. So there's kind of a a decrease in talent pool in general, at least at the big programs. And then I guess I forgot this part that we didn't talk about in the preseason that they moved the three point line back. Yeah. Um, so teams are not shooting well. It's kind of a brick fest again. So that could lead to different totals. I mean, we haven't really talked about that specifically, but it's interesting to think about. And that's why the college basketball this year is just kind of a, a crapshoot, you know, on who's the top teams and who's going to score. Yeah, those are really interesting points. I hadn't really considered that, but. 40s spot on with how many freshmen are really not playing. You add in the injury to Anthony Cole, to or sorry Cole right. Anthony, as well right. into that mix, and um, the three point line certainly a factor. Because when you think about it, college basketball comes down to teams that are hot from three and those mm-hmm. that defend well. So you take one factor right. out of that. Got to imagine the three point shooting uh, dip has taken a toll on some great teams this season. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's jump into the action power ratings. You can go over your top 10. Looks like there's been a little movement um, within the top 10 anyway. Yeah, still number one, we've got the Duke Blue Devils, and um, mm-hmm. they're just clinging to that top spot now with Gonzaga kind of nipping at their heels quite a bit. They're just behind them in number two. And then beyond them, we've got a couple of Big 12, three Big 12 teams, Kansas, West Virginia, and Baylor are all mm-hmm. neck and neck for three, four, and five. Then San Diego State at six, the impressive Dayton Flyers at seven, yep. and then the lone Big Ten team in this top ten at Michigan State uh, really kind of had a bad week themselves with the totally. loss to Wisconsin and then went out and lost at home against Penn State the other night. So yep. uh, rough week for Michigan State fans all in all. Um, number nine, Arizona, and to round out the top ten is Louisville. Yeah, not surprised that some of these, obviously the cluster in the middle of the Big 12 teams, they're going to duke it out this week, uh, Kansas and West Virginia, right? So, um, if I'm not mistaken, so, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be some, we'll see who's better <laughs> on the court. Um, but San Diego State, you know, they don't have any competition out there. You know, my my Rams are actually in second place in that conference. That's tell you what's going on <laughs> out there. <laughs> nice. But, um. Dayton's got a tough game this week, and I think they're going to win, but they're playing Rhode Island. We'll talk about that maybe. Um, but the, you know, when you look at these teams, you know, Arizona's an interesting team too. I don't even know if they're the best team in the Pac-12. It's it's yeah. it's uh, it's kind of a mystery. But and Louisville, I think, is better than Duke, but metrically, it's not so. So you know, in the end, I guess we'll have to reconcile this as we get closer to the tournament when we're picking squads and and everything. But I do think these are these are the best teams. I think it's not you're not missing anybody. Um, I'm sure teams like Auburn or something like that would would try to dispute. But when you look at the numbers, like the SEC in general, their best teams are in the 30s in Ken Palm. You know, they're not even yeah. close to getting up there. Uh, you know, it's kind of weird. I'm not sure what's up with that. Maybe they just don't play D or whatever. But tons of Big Ten teams up top. So it's funny that you only have one in your top ten. But in the top 20 in Ken Pump, there's several. So yeah, figure it all out, you know? 
I agree I, with the uh, your point on the SEC is spot on. I was looking at that the other day. It's really crazy how few teams are near the top and I think it's going to be super interesting to see how the tournament field balances out between all these Big Ten teams that is getting so much hype and this SEC group which appears none of them are really elite even when you talk about the likes of LSU or Auburn. Exactly yeah and even look at you know LSU, Auburn, Kentucky, you know Florida is hanging on by a thread you know it's just really weird um Mm -hmm. So we'll we'll see how it goes. So this week, uh, we've got several games highlighted. We've got one, you know, we love the Friday night action. Action, I know you do. You've got to have some action on Friday night. So what's your Friday night action this week? Well, uh, going back to the well with the Illini, this is a team that I've been following and backing a lot this season and uh, really love that freshman, Kofi Coburn, in the middle. He has been uh, dominant for this team this season. And I think I mentioned weeks prior kind of changed up their playing style with him in the lineup. They play a lot slower pace, and they really get down and focus on the defensive end. So mm-hmm. Maryland is traveling to Champaign this Friday night, and I think that the Illini are a solid bet here at minus one was the opener, and um, I'm all over the Illini on Friday night. What do you think about that okay. one? Okay, I do like that one. I think that Maryland is a really good squad. They're in the top ten in Ken Palm. However... You know, I don't know how they're listed as 24th offensively. That certainly hasn't come in Big Ten play of late. Uh, this team has trouble scoring. Illinois is a more balanced squad. They may not be elite on either end, but they can certainly, you know, put the ball in the basket and have a varied attack. Plus, they've been really good at home. And, you know, Brad Underwood, I give him a lot of credit. He's actually recruited Chicago a little bit. He's probably brought in some transfers, but he's known for. And he's got their team playing at a really high level. I've got another game later that I like even more, but I'm with you on this one. I think it's up to two on bet online, but you know, one, two, it's a pretty short number for Illinois. Ah, uh, so you missed my text this afternoon when I said Oh, I saw that it. One. I saw it. I was, I was just busy, you know. I'm, I hear oh, you. Excuse me. Let, me. let me not cut this ribbon at this property. <laughs> let me just put this wager in. I understand. Yeah. No, looking back, I'm noticing now they actually played earlier in December and uh, Illinois was up at halftime and really in control of that game before Maryland battled back in the second half and ended up winning by a sole point at home in Maryland. So a revenge spot as well for Underwood's men. That's right. Well, we've got another one uh, in the Big East on Saturday. Uh, This is Villanova at Seton Hall. Uh, Right now you're showing Villanova as the favorite, which I'm a little surprised uh, to see that, especially after last night. You know, I posted my article last night, and then Villanova promptly loses at Butler. Um, But I did like Nova getting points here. So you're saying in Ken Palm you think they're going to actually be favored by a point on the road. Yes, Ken has the Villanova Wildcats as a one-point favorite in this game, and my numbers do make Seton Hall a slightly better squad, but um, ever so slightly, and I do think that the number of minus one here is probably spot on. Um, Mm. uh, I do think that it's definitely a great spot for Villanova, certainly after losing the game at Butler last night. They're going to have extra motivation to stay atop the Big East, and now they're playing against one of their really biggest foes in the conference in Seton Hall. So um, it's a good spot. Not one that I've really gotten into yet. Not really sure I want to go against Miles Powell, who I think is the best player in the Big East. But um, I don't fault you for looking at this game. 
Yeah, originally I was thinking, well, Seton Hall's you know top of the conference, you know, but it's kind of one of those you got to beat us to beat this conference. But you know, it's the Big East, not unlike the Big Ten, has a lot of pretty good teams, and it's tough to win on the road. So um, maybe I will stay away if they're going to be favored. Um, the next one you've listed on there is Purdue at Indiana. I know you put this on there for the homers. You know, I know your dad's listening. <laughs> So uh, you've got Indiana listed as a one-point favorite. This is a in-state rivalry and should be a heck of a game. I mean, what happened to the Boilers? They scored like 106 points yesterday. Yes, they did indeed. And uh, you just nailed my handicap right on the head. Um, <laughs> nothing better than fading a team who is coming off a historical shooting performance last night. The Purdue Boilermakers just torched the Nets at uh, mm-hmm. Mackey Arena shooting 19 of 34 from the three-point line and 22 of 31 from the two-point line and uh, just totally dominated. They put up 101 points against Iowa and uh, coming into Assembly Hall is an ex- a great spot for fading them. Throughout this mm-hmm. season, Purdue has just not brought their offense on the road and Indiana actually plays a little bit of defense, 52nd against opponents' defensive efficiency. And I think that Purdue is going to be in a tough spot coming into Indiana, facing off against the freshman Trace Jackson Davis on the inside. They really Mm -hmm. rebound the basketball. So I like the Hoosiers in this spot quite a bit, especially if they're going to be about a one-point favorite, which is the projection. Yeah, it's a nice short number for you. Like you said, there's going to be a lot of love on Purdue. So who knows? Maybe it'll get a pick you know. So you've listed this one. I was going to ignore it, but you, you're on it. Uh, Duke is playing North Carolina. You know, cue up the ESPN promotion of the greatest rivalry in the history of sports. Um, but it is kind of interesting. They've been putting some stats out. They've played each other 100 times, and they're 50 and 50. And they've also scored the exact same number of points in this rivalry against each other, which is weird. Um, you've got North Carolina as a 12-point underdog at home. And you believe with Cole Anthony back that they're going to be able to stay within that number. Yeah, I do. Um, I think, you know, one of the perils of Ken Palm is that he doesn't take into account any injuries or lack of star missing stars in any of the numbers. They're just strictly stats based, which is great on its surface. But you have to take that into account when you're handicapping North Carolina games. Cole Anthony has been missing for the last two months and now he's back and, I looked at the box score the other night, um, and he played 37 minutes. So it's pretty clear to me that he's back and healthy. And although he didn't shoot the ball very well, I think he really does kind of change that North Carolina offense. And uh, if they're catching 12 points at home against Duke in this rivalry game, I think it's going to be a slam dunk. Okay. I will uh, caution you uh, because the team's, you know, not that great, and they're missing more than Cole Anthony, but – I will tell you that it kind of reminds me of, they mentioned it on the radio today about, you know, like a 95 or something when, you know, uh, Duke was terrible and mm-hmm. they, they they had uh, North Carolina had Rasheed Wallace and they had Jerry Stackhouse, severe favorites, and that was the famous triple overtime game, Jeff Capel hitting the half-court bank shot or something. So I can see it. I mean, you know, it's a rivalry game. They're at home. It makes sense, the handicap. I just, I got to stay away. I just, this North Carolina team stinks, and maybe they'll surprise me, but uh, I don't know. One step at a time. I'll let you uh, win this one. Okay. How many points would it take to get you to wager on North Carolina, just out of curiosity? 
Uh, probably more like 15. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'd say. But, you know, that seems like a lot of points at home. So, you know, I just don't – I don't know. It's weird. I, it's weird to, to not believe in North Carolina because they're one of those teams that I just really – they play the same way every year, mm-hmm. and eventually it works, you know, regardless of who's on that squad. But this is a different team. They don't have those, like, long, you know, rebounding studs inside. You know, it's it's a different approach with Cole Anthony, and they also don't have shooters. Um, yeah. They can't – nobody can make shots, and Duke's good. I mean, they're good at both ends of the floor, but, you know, I'm sure they're prone to a, a bad game here and there, and they do have a bunch of freshmen – who are playing besides, um, you know, Trey Jones. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. You just reminded me of another little nugget Um, with Cole Anthony back in the lineup. North Carolina plays a lot more isolation basketball, which tends to a lot slower pace. And I think that there's going to be some value on the under in their games in the near term. Okay. Good call. Okay. Well, let's uh, go to the next one. This is Ohio state at Wisconsin. This is on Sunday. Um, Wisconsin is listed as a one-point favorite, our projection, against Ohio State. I do like Wisconsin here. Uh, the Buckeyes did get a big win against Michigan, but they barely scored in that game because Michigan can't score. I'm not sure if Davidson's back. Uh, maybe you probably know that or not, but he, is, he punched yeah. that guy in the in the balls, right? Yeah, it was, um, a, it was a one-game <laughs> suspension for uh, okay. his, I think, second or third infraction of the same offense. Yeah, he, he apparently likes to hit, you know, he's like a nut tapper. Um, <laughs> but but I think that with him back in the lineup, Wisconsin's nasty at home. Uh, I think one point would be awesome to get. I, I kind of expect that line to be a little bit bigger. Um, but you like the Buckeyes in this game. I do, yeah. Um, I think this Ohio State team has really turned a corner. And to be honest, it's kind of wild to think about with the loss of DJ Carden. I, I thought uh-huh. it was going to be big for them, and uh, other players have stepped up in his stead. You've got the big guy, Caleb Wesson, and I just don't think that Wisconsin has any answer for Wesson inside. Um, they're going to be dominating on the glass, and uh, I also think that Wisconsin is on a little bit of a slide right now. Looking back here, they are now 1-6 and six in their last seven games against the spread, and uh, although they've won a couple that Obviously, the Michigan State game was the outlier in that grouping. Um, I think Ohio State is a team that's trending up, and I think Wisconsin is fading. So if that's a short number like it appears to be, I'll be jumping on Ohio State on the road. Okay. I mean, Wesson did play really well against Teske. I mean, he can score against bigger players. So, you know, I see what you're saying there, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, Wisconsin's one of those teams like I – used to love Wisconsin, like totally love that team with Paul Ryan. And uh-huh. those guys were just, you know, played that really deliberate game. You know, they had all those guys like, you know, Big Frank and what's his name, Decker. That was a hell of a team. But um, they haven't kind of returned to that level. Um, but at home, they seem pretty tough. So we'll see. We're on different sides here. The next one, we've got Butler versus Marquette. It's a two-point game, Marquette being favored. Total being 142, Action likes the under the 142. Yeah. Why is that? Always a risky proposition going under in Marcus Howard, Marquette games. But yeah. I think that this Butler team is going to get back on, right the ship a little bit. They were without the point guard Aaron Thompson for a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. I think that took a toll on their defense specifically. 
and he returned last night to play against Villanova, and I, I believe that it's going to give Coach Jordan another option in guarding Howard. He'll be able to use him and rotate Kamar Baldwin on that side of the ball. And Butler just likes to play a slow pace. They're 327th ranked in the nation in pace, and mm-hmm. obviously we know their defense is stellar, um, 19th and defensive field goal percentage. So I think that this game is going to be a, kind of a tight contest, uh, evidenced by the spread there, two-point spread. And I think that it's going to stay under this total of 142. I'm also looking to play it in the first half as well, hoping to eke out a 66. This is a noon tip on Sunday, so should be a little bit slow starting in my estimation. Okay. That's always a good part of actions. Uh, those college kids like to sleep in. They're all groggy at, at that noon start. Um, okay, I'll let you go with that one. Uh, I'm on For Tuesday, I'm on Michigan State at Illinois, Illinois being a short favorite at one point. I really like Illinois here. Uh, you've talked about them already on the pod, but I think more that Sparty is not looking so great. I don't, you know, they're still staying in the top ten at Ken Palm and your ratings, but maybe they're just having a little bit of a lull, midseason lull, and they'll turn it up in March. But this hasn't been quite the same team over the last three weeks, and you know, Illinois is hungry and they really want to win. Well, I'm over Illinois in this one. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think this is a good spot for them. Um, another one-point spread, a lot of close games here in the Illinois schedule. And it's definitely going to be a tough spot for Michigan State coming off the loss against Penn State over the weekend. Now they've got to face off against their in-state rival at Michigan on Saturday. So uh, kind of a tough gauntlet here for the Michigan State basketball team. And then they have to travel to Illinois on Tuesday night. And again, I think Kofi Coburn is going to be the difference in this game. I like Illinois in this one a lot as well. All right. Well, it looks like uh, I screwed up, uh, at least. No, I didn't. This is, this is a Tuesday start, right? Yeah. That's what we're uh-huh. saying? Okay. Uh-huh. So I was interested in this game, but I screwed up the dates. Um, Rhode Island is playing at Dayton. Dayton is the class of the A-10. They have really haven't lost a game since, I don't know, early November. Um, but Rhode Island is starting to play ball, and this team is coming on. Uh, the Rams have been really good. You're saying that they're going to get 12 points on the road. It's a big number. Uh, I definitely think Dayton's going to win this game, but 12 points seems like a little bit too much. So if it's 10-plus, like I said in my notes, I'll jump on Rhode Island. And regardless, I'm interested in seeing this team play Dayton and Rhode Island because they're going to play again in, at Rhode Island on the 4th of March. So it's kind of a preview matchup. What do you think? Yeah, I mean um... – Rhode Island is definitely the second best team in this conference. So you're looking at a team that is hopefully going to be able to compete with the Flyers. But when I am crunch my numbers here, I think the spread that Ken Palm has at 12 is probably pretty accurate. Um, this Dayton offense is number one in the country in offensive field goal percentage. And uh, Rhode Island on the other side does play a little bit of defense. But I think when you're facing off against Dayton, you got to have a good inside presence and mm-hmm. that's not really the Rhode Island strong suit on defense. They're pretty poor in block percentage and middle of the pack in two-point defense. So uh, kind of a tough spot. They definitely will need to find some offense, though, if they're going to keep up with this Dayton team. Exactly. The last game that we'll highlight is the Kansas at West Virginia matchup. Uh, another a lot of short favorites this week, action. Uh, mm-hmm. Looks like the Mountaineers would be a one-point favorite at home on Wednesday the 12th. You know, West Virginia gave Kansas 
a really good game in Allen Fieldhouse. They stayed within our number barely. They didn't win the game, but they covered for us. Uh, but West Virginia, you know, they're balling right now, and that Huggins defense is, you know, top two, I believe. Um, Kansas is a hell of a ball club, too, and they're, they're good on both sides of the ball. But I do think when they play in West Virginia, Kansas is going to get all they want, and I will take the short favorite in West Virginia. I'm in agreement on this one. I think that uh, West Virginia is playing great basketball right now, and when you look back at their spread margins this season, they're just crushing opponents at home. They're 8-4 yep. against the spread at Morgantown, and that's by an average margin of 7 points per cover. So uh, I definitely think that the Mountaineers are the team in this one against Kansas. Nice. Finally on the same side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that kind of wraps up college basketball. I mean, I guess we'll find some more content next week. But, uh, you know, going forward, I mean, we're only a few weeks away from, you know, Selection Sunday and everything. So we'll be sharpening up our tools to get even better at college basketball and help you with your brackets. Not sure if we're going to get Cole on. We should probably ask him on again. He yeah. was a wizard last year um, and helping us out. Yeah, we've actually talked about lining up a interview perhaps next week even if we can mm -hmm. uh, square it away. So we'll see if we can get him on again and get some more knowledge dropped. There you go. A little preview, a little preview. Um, okay, well, that wraps up our episode. Uh, I mean, pretty exciting. Football season's over. We'll turn over to college basketball. You want to talk some XFL? Okay. Uh, I'm down. I'll watch a game. But, um, you know, for the most part, though, we'll focus on college basketball and close out a, a successful season on side action. Yeah, really looking forward to focusing completely on college hoops as we get closer to March and line up those bracket predictions and see if we can't find some futures tickets that might offer some value through the tournament. Yeah, like you and Texas Tech last year dominated with that. Yeah. If we can find another one of those, that would be sweet. That's right. That's I think that's how Cola beat me in the player pool, too. He loaded up on Red Raiders. <laughs> nice. So, all right. Well, uh, follow us at Side Action Pod on Twitter. Follow me at Wegspool on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at 31SRoberts. All right. Thanks, everybody. Peace out. That's a wrap for this episode of the Side Action Podcast. We appreciate all of your listens, and thank you for joining us. We'll see you all again next week on Thursday for some more hot picks and side action. podcast its owners and associates take no responsibility for the opinions or statements made by the show hosts or their guests statements or show topics are not necessarily the beliefs of this podcast and opinions between talk show hosts may conflict individuals following the advice given on the podcast accept their own risk of losses from wagers made as the side action podcast its owners hosts associates or guests will not guarantee any advice given the opinions and advice given on the side action podcast is for entertainment purposes only Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Intro and outro and transition music credits. Song titles, Jerry 5 and District 4 by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.org. License under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0.
creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash buy 3.0.